Welcome to False Flag Weekly News, the weekly news show that covers what really happens, no matter how hideous, deplorable, and even unspeakable, everywhere else at least, and uh, speaks about it. I'm Kevin Barrett with Dr. E. Michael Jones. Hey, Mike, how are you doing? Good. Good to be here. Yeah, it is. It's uh, getting talking about this stuff kind of gets it out of my system sometimes. So uh, let me turn over to my control board here and go into the uh, the share screen function and see what we see. Okay, here we go. We're going to look at our, we're starting off with our music video of the week. That should be fun. Let's see if we can get that uh, to, to work. So here we are with the music video of the week, the much anticipated new rubric that we've been doing now for a few months. And here it is. Oops, that's not it. There it is. See if it'll play. Mike, that uh, that line about uh, oh, uh, I, I got my friends uh, won't be seen with me. They read the Jewish papers and all that. You know, I can kind of relate to that myself. How about you? Yeah, I can too. Uh -huh. By the way, uh, thanks for uh, putting a good word for me at the Islamic Center in Irving, who took me in after my fellow brother Knights of Columbus kicked me out of their hall, violating their contract. But very so, well. So they took you in. That's fantastic. Yeah. All right. Allah so, Akbar. Allah Akbar. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I keep I keep telling you that you know there's <laughs> at this point you know Islam is the last religion standing. Although I guess you and like uh, two or three other Catholics I know are still standing, but that's just about it. Um, well, I don't know about that, but it went well. And uh, one of the Muslims came up to me afterwards and said, "If you're ever speaking in Irving again, we'd be happy to host your next talk." So. That was nice. Okay. God has a plan. The cunning God has reason. a plan. Well, the best jihad is a word of truth flung in the face of a tyrant. And that's what we do here at False Flag Weekly News. And we're flinging a little truth in the bloody faces uh, and at the bloody hands of these tyrants here, uh, Bibi and his poodle uh, from the White House, uh, Biden. And so let's get going on that. But first, some public service announcements. First, Please support the show so we can keep doing this. Go to truthjihad.com, go to Iceland, and from there, click on False Flag Weekly News, where you will get ultimately to our fundraiser 
And we were at zero uh, yesterday, and now we're like at $10. We need to get a little higher than that to do a show next week. So your help will be much appreciated. Breaking news today. Well, this is quasi-breaking news that a Trump dictatorship is inevitable. So that's pretty serious breaking news. And it's been broken by a pretty serious guy, the uh, Kagan of Hazaria. And when the Kagan speaks, uh, his subjects listen. Mike, when Kagan says a Trump dictatorship is not just inevitable, but increasingly inevitable, uh, does that make you wonder? Uh, how does he know? This is known as performative speech. Uh, when when uh, the minister says, I now pronounce you man and wife, it happens because he said it. And I think that's the type of uh, a, a warning we're getting here now. Uh, in the Washington Post, which is the uh, mouthpiece, the propaganda outlet for the for the oligarchs. Um, this is the man whose wife gave us the war in the Ukraine. Uh, so this guy has clout. Uh, and uh, if there's any uh, family that kind of runs the uh, the Jewish control of the world, I would nominate the Kagan family, probably more than the Soros family. Uh, because they are deeply embedded in our foreign policy establishment. Uh, Victoria Newland is now number two at the State Department, right under Anthony Blinken, uh, the 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 guy who opens every negotiation by saying, "I have relatives who died in the Holocaust." Right, and then the uh, the foreign heads of state, oh, say, uh, "Oh, that's that's very nice. Uh, pleased to meet them." Uh, so, so when Kagan says this, the question is, what what does he mean? There are really two possible interpretations of this, and they're kind of diametrically opposed ones. So, uh, I mean, he's right. Kagan's right when he says that, sure, you know, Trump's up 47 points on his nearest competitor. He leads the combined Republican opposition by 27 points. And the idea that he couldn't beat Biden is obviously nonsense. Just look at the polls. So then he he talks about this is an asteroid heading towards us. It's going to be demolish democracy. It's going to destroy the earth, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, he says the big problem is it's not just the people who don't believe that the asteroid is coming, but it's the people who won't make any sacrifices. Now, the word sacrifices, that sounds like a Holocaust, a burnt offering, like killing somebody, right? And the original sacrifice, according to Rene Girard, is you know what holds the tribe together by lynching a scapegoat. So what kind of sacrifice needs to be done to prevent Trump's inevitable dis destruction of American democracy? Well... Uh, I'm suggesting in this article that Kagan is actually between the lines calling for the assassination of Donald Trump. That's the sacrifice that he's calling for. He says it's increasingly inevitable. It's almost inevitable, but not quite because we could still kill the guy. So that's the number one interpretation. The number two interpretation, though, would be that he's just saying, well, it's going to happen. So Jews get on board with it. So which of those two do you think is true? Mike? I think he's calling for human sacrifice. I think that's what he's saying. <laughs> I know uh, the, the Jews are no strangers to human sacrifice. Uh, it is their religion. Uh, we know this because uh, 400 Jewish organizations came out recently and said abortion is a fundamental Jewish value. That means that these people do not worship Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament. They worship Moloch, and they've been worshiping him for a long time. They have an addiction to Moloch worship. Uh, uh, the the uh, Israelites... The Israelites engaged in it when their feet were still wet from walking across the Red Sea. And they're doing it now in Gaza with all of the dead children, which we'll probably cover later. 
but they've never gotten over this addiction. And so uh, the man who epitomized it best was Caius or Anaphis, and he said it's better for one man to die than for the people to perish. So I think that's what's going on. He may also be saying that the legal warfare that is being conducted against Trump is not going to succeed. Maybe he's conceding that there's a failure there. Okay. So, yeah, that was my number one interpretation, too, is this is a typical neocon doublespeak uh, call for assassination. The neocons believe that the truth is so dangerous that it could never be spoken directly in the public square. So instead, they invent uh, myths and mumbo-jumbo for the masses, and they mumble out of the other side of their mouth to each other, their fellow neocons, passing them coded messages. And I think the coded message is, just do it. <laughs> kill the kill Trump before he becomes dictator. Well, uh, no, good riddance, that, that, that's not about Trump. That's actually about Henry Kissinger. So let's move on to the good riddance section about Henry Kissinger. Although, frankly, I wouldn't mourn Trump that much, but the neocons who killed him would be probably even worse. How about Kissinger, though? Uh, Kissinger dead at 100, uh, and he's getting these quasi-respectful but not quite obits from the mainstream, like this New York Times obit. Um, were you surprised either by his death or by the obits, Mike? I'm not surprised that anyone dies at the age of 100. I think it's uh, <laughs> you're kind of pushing the envelope there. Oh, come I on. Tweeted, he, he, my, must, he must have gotten vaxxed. I'm, I'm sure he died <laughs> because he got vaxxed. My, my, my initial reaction was uh, uh, Henry Kissinger is proof that the good die young. That's what I tweeted in response to that. But uh, it does give us a chance to uh, examine his legacy. Wait, wait, wait a minute, Mike. If 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 it's if the bad die old, he should have lived to at least two hundred. No, a hundred's pretty old. I, I mean, I don't I don't think there's any right. Way but he was really bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's the time to good uh, time to examine his legacy, which okay. is what this is a man who began his career by being one of those Jews that returned to Germany and tortured the German people. I don't know whether this, he, what his details uh, he was involved in, but that's how he got started. And there's a little After, bit on that in his obituary too. It, it, it talked about how he went back to his original uh, village in Germany and said, where, where have all the Jews gone? And so yeah. in my, my satire uh, about uh, Kissinger in hell, uh, he's, he's in hell and he says, well, now I know <laughs> where they've yeah. all gone. Yeah. 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 So he 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 went back and uh, uh, basically became an agent of social engineering, uh, and you know uh, uh, a a what should I say? I would say the largest uh, ethnic cleansing in history took place after World War II, when the ethnic Germans were expelled from East Prussia, Silesia, and the Sudetenland. And these are the people that played played a role in that. Seventy percent of all the lawyers at the Nuremberg trials were Jews. The Jews came back lusting for vengeance. One of those guys was the stepfather of Anthony Blinken. And you can read about he how he dealt with the conquered Germans in his memoir. He kind of brags about the fact that he was uh, uh, extorting them. He just if he liked a particular house, he'd walk up and say, "I'm a Jew. Here's my whole. Here's my Auschwitz tattoo. Get out! I'm taking over your house." He was a pimp. Uh, it's in his memoir. I'm not making this up. And this is the guy that uh, Blinken idolizes and gave him the idea that he could get his way by saying, "I have relatives who died in the Holocaust." I, I have pimp relatives who died in the Holocaust. Okay. Yes. Yes. It's interesting how uh, how Jews are mythologized as the ultimate victims of ethnic cleansing, but then they actually do the ethnic cleansing themselves. 
Uh, not to mention the Holocaust, like the firebombings of uh, Dresden, uh, Tokyo, and then, of course, the nuking of uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And then what's going on in Gaza right now, which we'll get to later. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think there's a lot of ethnic cleansing related to Jews, but it may be going in a different direction than what we're told. Well, here's a couple of classic uh, Kissinger quotes. The military men are just dumb, stupid animals and pawns. Uh, that's a popular one among my military, our veteran colleagues at Veterans Today. And uh, he also talks about the elderly being useless eaters. And somebody left a comment on my UNS review satire, which we'll get to in a moment, uh, arguing that Kissinger's long life can be attributed to adrenochrome treatments that he and many other Jewish <laughs> movers and shakers take advantage of. They extract blood from Gentile children under <laughs> extreme duress induced by torture and inject it into lecherous old individuals, primarily Jews, who use it as life-extending treatment, et cetera, et cetera. The torture is used to raise adrenaline levels in the blood before it's removed from the child. Well, that sounds completely insane. And the first time I heard this, I thought somebody was having a, a flashback of a bad trip that they experienced while they were reading Hunter Thompson's uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which actually talks about this. But... Uh, since then, after reading the uh, these Ron Unz pieces, um, citing some very serious mainstream history books by Jewish and Israeli historians about the fact that, yes, the Jewish community in medieval times did, in fact, traffic in the blood of Christian babies. <laughs> yes, it's true. They did. Well, what? Why, and it was extremely expensive. There are huge piles of money in it. Well, <laughs> this would explain how why they would do that. Like, why else would you be trafficking in the blood of babies? So maybe there's some truth to it. I don't know. I'm not making an assertion. I'm just saying maybe this is one of those completely insane sounding conspiracy theories that could be true. I don't know. Sounds like an anti-Semitic canard to me. <laughs> it, very, it very well could be. The thing but is, <laughs> but yeah. on the other hand, there's a chapter in the Jewish revolutionary spirit about St. John Capistran, who got was out preaching a retreat and suddenly got called in to be and take part in a trial of one of these uh, uh, Jews who had been accused of uh, killing uh, a boy and draining the blood. Uh, this is the canard. Everyone has to denounce that as a canard. But uh, it turns out that uh, during the trial, the daughter of the rabbi came forth and said, yes, her father did do it. And if you go to the basement, dig up, the, you'll find the bones. And they dug it up and they found the bones. And so uh, he was convicted. And mm -hmm. uh, St. John Capistran uh, presided over the trial. Right. And there are apparently a lot of cases like that. So this so-called blood libel, it's obviously not true about all Jews throughout all of history, but there may have been an element of truth that one of the many perfidious practices that some members of the Jewish community practiced included something like this. I don't know about this adrenochrome thing, though. That's that's one that I'm, I'm not going to say is on my list of true conspiracy theories, at least not yet. So here's my satire. Kissinger arrives in hell, appointed permanent national security advisor. Uh, so, Mike, do you think that Kissinger... Uh, has enough ruses and stratagems to uh, to defeat God in Satan's uh, eternal war on God. No one has enough power to defeat God, including Satan, who I'm sure has more power than Henry Kissinger. Uh, but on the other hand, I've often wondered about the role he played, uh, particularly under Nixon. The story I've heard recently is that uh, when the, during the 73 war, Golden, uh, Nixon threatened to cut off um, arms to Israel, which is the traditional role of the American president, to get them to the bargaining table. And at that point, Golda Meir threatened to set off a nuclear device in Russia and blame it on the United States. And apparently uh, Nixon backed down. 
What yeah, role boy, did Kissinger have to? What role did Kissinger have to play in brokering that deal? Did he is was that his advice? He was the security advisor. Did he advise him to do that? I suspect he did. Yeah, he might have actually had a, a finger in both pies there. You never know. Uh, you can't wouldn't put a lot past him. Well, the Jewish Daily Forward says that Kissinger was maybe, if not an anti-Semite, at least a self-hating Jew. And they can't believe that he ha- he never heard of the concept of self-hating Jew because Kissinger said, I'm going to be the first Jew accused of anti-Semitism. And the forward says, this sadly reflects his obliviousness to the longstanding concept of Jewish self-hatred. But as our cartoon caption here says, uh, he didn't hate himself. It's the Jews he couldn't stand. Well, we're talking about a different generation here. Uh, I'm talking, it's interesting to compare Kissinger with uh, Blinken. Uh, I think that Kissinger did get along with Nixon. Nixon didn't like the Jews, but he couldn't say it in public. Right. uh, Back in those days, everybody just took it for granted that they didn't like the Jews. Well, he had conversations with Billy Graham, probably Billy Graham didn't. uh, I I think Franklin Graham must have heard the tape because I've seen him uh, groveling in front of Benjamin Netanyahu now, uh, apologizing for the sins next sins against uh, sins that his father committed uh but what what happened here is that the uh, amount of competence uh declined in inverse relationship to the quant- the quality of uh statesmanship declined in inverse relationship to the quantity of control the jews have over the white house and the foreign policy establishment that's the problem we we're in right now we've not not only do we have jews running the thing we've got incompetent jews yeah, running, yeah, 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 dumb, dumb Jews. That's yeah. I mean, Blinken. I'm sorry, but Anthony Blinken is not in the same league as Henry Kissinger. I'm sorry. That's. I think it's an insult to Kissinger to even put those two names together in the same sentence. Actually, uh, but yeah, that's. It, it, but there was one guy who just said, you know, Jews don't do anything anymore. I think it was Dennis Prager. That's part of the problem here. They don't have to do anything anymore. They get the job automatically because they have Jewish privilege, and so they don't have any skills. Well, they don't I, play the violin. I mean, when I was a kid, every Jew played the violin. Uh, hmm. That's or if he didn't play the violin, he played chess. So what were they, they playing? Like a fiddler on the roof, or they, like I, really actually, sad? Have you have you seen ben, about Auschwitz? Have you seen Ben Shapiro playing Schindler's List? It's on it's on YouTube. Oh my goodness, uh, that sounds like torture. Uh, how, how no, he did. He did a very good that? job. He's he was a good uh, violinist. He should have stuck with that instead of doing what he's doing now. That's true. Yeah, and I wish all the dudes over in Israel were sticking, were playing violins instead of inflicting violence on the Palestinians. But we'll uh, we'll be talking about that pretty soon. Here, this is the first week that we haven't been talking about almost nothing but that. Uh, so uh, here's the nation's left wing people's obituary of Henry Kissinger that focuses on his misdeeds. Uh, it's in the third world. The general consensus seems that, oh, he was very clever with his great power relations and U.S., China, Russia relations, uh, the reset with China and all this sort of thing, although that didn't work out so well. But he was really, really mean to the third world. And he destroyed Chile and he destroyed Cambodia and he caused a lot of unnecessary death in Vietnam and on and on and on. I don't think he was a very good guy in any of this. I don't know. Do you think there's some truth to that, though, that he was, you know, at least uh, understandably you know, acting as a realist in his great power relations, but that he was sort of inflicting surplus misery on people in terms of what he did to some of these other countries? I think it revolves around the term realpolitik. Uh, can you be uh, a brilliant guy who completely ignores the moral law? Is mm-hmm. that possible? 
the moral law is practical reason. It's reason. So can you be a brilliant guy uh, while you're can you like you could be a brilliant thief? So you're really good at cracking safes. But does that apply to someone who is I don't think it works. I don't think it works that way. I think that's the best we could say about Kissinger was that he was a, an amoral genius. But I think that's a, an oxymoron. Well, between Kissinger, who had no knowledge whatsoever of the moral law, and Blinken, who knows the moral, moral law only too well, and the moral law for Blinken is, I have relatives who died in the Holocaust. So of those two, I think I'll take the amoral guy, but that's not saying much. Okay, here's a kind of a quasi-breaking story from, I think, a day and a half, two days ago. Uh, all of that speculation about, did Israel know that the October 7th Al-Aqsa storm operation was coming? Well, you know, I, I've been very hesitant to classify this as a likely false flag operation because it, I don't think it worked out so well for Israel. However, the evidence is starting to emerge that people who support that interpretation could point to, such as this new piece by Ronan Bergman in the New York Times about Israel knowing Hamas's entire attack plan a year before it happened in great detail. There's a 40-page document that the Israelis compiled about every detail of what would become the October 7th attack plan, and they codenamed that document Jericho Wall. Now, to me, that codename is suspicious because, you know, the Joshua and the Battle of Jericho that we all sing of Joshua at the Battle of Jericho, and he committed genocide, because he did. That's what it was all about, was committing genocide. Uh, and so their plan to commit genocide against the Philistines or the Palestinians might very well be something that they would want triggered by a big attack. So the fact that they knew every detail of the attack a year in advance and uh, wrote about it in a heavily circulated document that everybody in the Israeli government saw called Jericho Wall. Well, this is this is suspicious and bizarre, but I mean, how could they do this if like everybody's seeing the document and I mean, you couldn't keep it secret. So the whole thing is is puzzling to me. How about you? I think it makes perfect sense in terms of the motivation of Benjamin Netanyahu. And I think it's, it makes perfect sense in light of nine uh, 11. I think nine 11, ah. if you're talking about, about Dick Cheney, uh, I think that Dick Cheney let it happen. Yeah. They made it happen. Well, they, you know, those were, there were well, no hijacked planes. At, at the very best, it was let it happen. I think that there was his order to stand down uh, that happened in 9-11 uh, is exactly analogous to what happened in, in Israel. They were told to stand down, weren't they? Wasn't there a stand down order? I think it makes sense. Uh, uh, and it doesn't change the fact that uh, what Hamas did uh, had a, 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 an effect that they weren't anticipating on. I don't know, but I think it makes perfect sense as a false flag. Well, one more thing that you could point to if you're arguing for the false flag concept is this uh, conclusion of Ronan Bergman's article. Now, remember, Ronan Bergman is the official stenographer of uh, the relatively intelligent wing of Mossad. And here he is comparing it once again to 9-11. Even the, the very first New York Times report about October 7th began by calling it Israel's 9-11. And here is Ronan Bergman talking about the failure to connect the dots, the analytical failure uh, of October 7th for the Israelis is the same thing as the so-called analytical failure of the Americans to connect the dots on September 11th. But that uh, is another of these sort of neocon doublespeak coded messages because everybody uh, above a certain pay grade and above a certain IQ and you know curiosity and open-mindedness level knows 
that 9-11 was a false flag, not an analytical failure. You're right, Cheney stood down, but he and, and he stood down while the Israelis and their American assets blew up the World Trade Center and uh, played games with airplanes to make it look as though it could have had something to do with airplanes, which it didn't. It, buildings coming down had nothing to do with airplanes, and there were no Arab pilots, hijackers, or even any of those named Arabs uh, on any of those planes. So the uh, this conclusion to this article does look to me like it's a statement from an insider who knows that all the insiders know that 9-11 was a false flag, that this is telling us that, yeah, uh, there was complicity on the part of presumably Netanyahu or, or somebody in Israel. And the question then becomes, why is this being brought out right now? Why are they uh, wielding this? You know, why is, who is, who is Ronan Bergman representing in terms of warning somebody in Israel about this? Maybe it's, there, there are two, the factions in Israel, basically the total genocide faction, which wants to nuke Gaza. And then there's the, uh, the same, the somewhat sane people who know they can't do that. So this could be the people who know they can't do that, putting this out saying, look, this is our nuclear option to make sure that you don't go, you know, to the, the try, you know, try to fully uh, genocide Gaza. I think it's an attack on Netanyahu. Yeah, well, he, he uh, might be leaning towards the full genocide. I, and I think there are, there are certain, certainly people in Israel who are not happy with what Netanyahu is doing. Netanyahu needs uh, some type of uh, uh, apocalyptic scenario in order to stay in office. And so uh, uh, this 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 makes sense to me. Ehud Barak is now campaigning against uh, Netanyahu. I'm sure there are people who know that Netanyahu is making, Israelis who are know that is making him worse, worse for them. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think but, political fallout is going to help Netanyahu. Though it's, it's you know, the, the conventional wisdom is the second this war is over, Netanyahu is toast. He's heading for prison. So, anyway, we'll see. I think that the longer the war goes on, the stronger Hamas becomes and the weaker Netanyahu becomes. And sometimes these two vectors are going to converge, and uh, it's it, they're going to have to stop. Now, where they're going to stop, uh, it's in Netanyahu's interest to have uh, uh, present the world with a fait accompli. In other words, I've killed everyone in Gaza who didn't leave, so it's now our territory. So what are you going to do now? But that's that has to happen quickly. If it doesn't happen quickly, the forces will end up deposing him. Well, Henry Kissinger famously said, uh, "Kill everybody you have to kill, but kill him quickly." So uh, maybe uh, they're trying to do that, but they just can't kill him, you know, fast enough. They're not. It's, it's not work. going to happen because if you have you you advance these lines that they're drawing in these maps so the israelis advance this far but they're not taking into account that the, the supposedly occupied territory is over tunnels that they haven't occupied and we'll get to that with the cradle stories about this in a moment but first let's talk about obsequious self-abasement our first obsequious self-abaser is there another kind of self-abasement, by the way, just to ask? <laughs> yeah, no, this, this is a repetitious redundancy in service to a point. Once again, I've been reading a lot of Arabic stuff and Arabic, uh, you know, Arabic is different. The style rules are pro-repetition. In, in English, you're never supposed to repeat yourself. In Arabic, you're always supposed to repeat yourself. Anyway, here's Elon Musk uh, going and kissing up to Netanyahu because, oh, my goodness, he said something anti-Semitic about the, you know, the, the Jews conspiring to replace the white people theory and all of that. And so the whole uh, Jewosphere, which is the entire media sphere and most of the money sphere, uh, got on his case. So he had to make the obligatory uh, self-abasing, uh, obsequious trip to the Holy Land to kneel down and kiss Netanyahu's holy buttocks. Well, I 
recommend uh, the the maxim of Sun Tzu. If you don't can't don't know yourself and can't identify the enemy, you're going to lose every battle. I think that uh, Elon Musk has identity issues, uh, but he certainly can't identify the enemy. This, this is he's going there at the same time that they're ramping up the the Jews are ramping up the attack on on uh, on Twitter. I don't understand. I don't. I'm not getting clear messages from Elon Musk. He's going to go toe to toe with the ADL. Then he kisses and makes up. But then he also imposes the ADL's uh, uh, rules, freedom of speech, but not freedom of reach. That's the rule now at Twitter. On the other hand, I'm still alive. I'm still standing on Twitter. So are, are you getting a lot of views for your for your tweets or your X's or whatever they're called? I, I'm getting notices that my things are going to are being restricted. I get notices when they're restricted. So at least when I said now they they at least tell you. Yeah, that was before. That's an improvement on before. So when when I said that a rabbi owns Pornhub, I got restricted. I don't know no, why. We're, we're going to talk about that soon. So I guess we're going to get restricted too. <laughs> okay. So so anyway, Musk uh, he he goes goes there talks about satellites and uh, talks about. Uh, you know, tries to fend off demands that he curb the anti-Semitic commentary on Twitter, and they take him and lead him off to the place where the militant group Hamas murdered 1,200 people on October 7th. Now, look at that wording. Uh, this, this is the Bloomberg article. Hamas murdered 1,200 people. Now, wait a minute. More than half of those were Israeli military people, and of the civilians, the vast majority of civilians were killed by Israeli forces. And let's let's look what the New York Times said back in this story. Uh it, it, uh, where the devastating invasion that led to the deaths of about 1,200 people. So this is Ronan Bergman writing, and he's actually a careful writer uh, who tries to stay within hailing distance of reality in the way he phrases things in general. I, I recommend his book, Rise and Kill First. Uh, you know, for a Mossad stenographer, he's an okay guy. Um, <laughs> I'll have coffee with him if he comes here to Morocco sometime. Anyway, here he is telling, you know, putting it in a way that's not really a lie. So the Hamas devastating invasion led to the deaths of 1,200 people, right? Uh, six or 700 uh, military casualties killed by Hamas, and then the rest killed by the IDF. And yet the, the rest of the media here, uh, Bloomberg in this case, is lying and saying Hamas murdered these people. No, they didn't. Hamas didn't murder anybody. There may, there may have been a couple of war crime type instances where they killed somebody who wasn't armed or whatever. That would be terrible. But all of these BS stories turned out to, to not be true. And the fact that Israel killed the vast majority of the civilians killed October 7th has now been pretty well established. And the other thing is that the Jews are still going to try and boycott uh, Twitter. So what's the point of these visits? <laughs> exactly. They're not going to give up. Bob Iger yeah. came out right after the visit and said, no, we're not going to advertise with uh, with Twitter. So what wh what's going on here, Elon? Why are you doing this when you know you're going to lose? Well, you know, the Israelis are still mad at him. The X is still not removing neo-Nazi anti-Semitic content like the president of Iran and Jackson Hinkle. So uh, I, I, Jackson Hinkle, I've heard that name. I think I've seen some of those tweets. For my first, I got it mixed up with Jackson Brown, you know, um, you know, singing about my redneck friend and all that kind of stuff. Uh, standing on a corner in Winslow, Arizona, all that kind of stuff. No, it's Jackson Hinkle is this uh, some young influencer who's actually pretty good. He's funny, some kind of Bolshevik uh alt-right character or something like that but uh clearly x is not as far as we know fully going along with these demands for erasing truth from the internet and so here he had here's jackson hinkle it's not jackson brown and, and uh 
this was one of his tweets that I, I uh, really appreciated this week. Um, Elon Musk was caught saying that we have no choice. There's no choice but to kill those who insist on murdering civilians. So Jackson Hinkle pointed out, Elon, um, Israel is the one that's murdering civilians. Are you saying there's no choice but to kill the people of Israel? And so I wrote this uh, satirical piece. It's not much of a stretch, though, it's because uh, there are about seven point something million Jews in Israel. And the polls show 90 percent of them support the genocide. That means there are like six, six point three, six point four million genocidal Israeli Jews who support the killing of civilians, the murdering civilians. So that means Elon Musk just called for the murder of six million Jews. Um, Michael, I think we should send him to the gas chamber immediately, don't you? Yes, he's getting his Holocaust narrative all <laughs> twisted up here. No, you're <laughs> twisting it up for him. Uh, so I don't know when when is uh, Elon Musk. Somebody needs to sit down with him and try and talk to him and come up with Elon. You need a rational perspective. You need a coherent worldview. You don't have one. Everybody thinks you know. It's like when I was young. They used to sell sell it to me if. If you're so damn smart, why aren't you rich? And so I say to Elon, if you're so damn rich, why aren't you smart? You're not smart. Maybe you can fix things and things like that, but you're being promoted to a position where you have no competence. You have no competence to make statements like this. And so whenever they get you, you end up making a fool out of yourself. So, so you know, you're, maybe your heart's in the right place, but stop performing uh, at a level attempting to perform at a level above your pay grade which is pretty high actually yeah i think he's pretty smart but i think he has some kind of add or something where right? so he smokes too much pot maybe and has this you know marijuana induced add where he uh he doesn't seem to be as coherent in his thought as maybe he could be in any case he's not the only obsequious guy uh kissing up to the zionists how, how about javier malay uh going basically what, what, what's he doing here he's he's uh saying he's going to convert to judaism he's, he i guess he hasn't scheduled the circumcision event for live tv yet but he probably will so mike what is it with these people kissing up to the jews well first of all uh argentina has there's only one place that has more jews than uh than new york city and it's buenos Aires. it's always been a destination for the jews and the jews have pretty much taken over that country. They've taken over the political process. They even had a huge influence on the current Pope. He he, he was uh, given a clean bill of health by a Jewish newspaper there. He was assigned Rabbi Skorkna to be his uh, advisor. He doesn't follow the advice uh, consistently, uh, but that's, that's Argentina. And then you add to the mix a guy who's a complete psychopath, who uh, is not uh, connected to anybody except uh, the four dogs that he lives with. And uh, he communicates. He, he has You're talking about Javier or about the Rebbe? Javier Millet uh, has seances where he talks to one of his dead dogs. So this is the type of guy he would have been committed in any rational society, but not he's, one where the Jews control mess. the issue. So this is the whole new, the new thing. It's, uh, how do you be a conservative? In order to be a conservative, which is, I think he calls himself a libertarian, whatever that means, you have to get a license from the Jews. This is no, important to know because this is exactly the situation that existed when Henry Kissinger was in Germany. Every uh, media outlet had to get a license from a Jew by the name of David Mordecai Levy. That is now universal. 
So in order to be a politician, you have to get a license from the Jews. It's not just Argentina. The guy in Holland, exactly the same situation, just got elected. Uh, he's known as a nationalist, except that he's a flaming supporter of Israel. Well, that means you're not a nationalist. This is the situation we're in. Well, I'm glad you don't have to apply to the Jews to get a license to broadcast false flag weekly news, although I imagine that's well, probably just wait. Just wait. Just yeah. wait. Just okay. wait. <laughs> well, America's occupied now. Uh, one of the reasons I'm in Morocco. And uh, the House, almost the entire House of Representatives just passed this resolution equating anti-Zionism with anti-Semitism. Now, okay, so anti-Zionism is obviously correct. There's absolutely no reason why there should be a Jewish state committing genocide in Palestine. And the existence of a Jewish state there implies the genocide of the Palestinians. So obviously anti-Zionism is, is correct, and any idiot can see that in about 10 seconds. But uh, if, if anti-Zionism is obviously correct, and it's equal to and the same as anti-Semitism, what does that tell you about so-called anti-Semitism? that it's mandatory for all decent people on, on the face <laughs> of much. the earth. Uh, I got, I got into trouble. I, I don't know that you were in Mashab when this happened, but I stood up and said, we had to, you know, uh, break the Jew taboo. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, uh, I remember that actually. That was, that yeah, was well, fairly memorable. Yeah. Well, uh, Phil Giraldi took my advice. He thanked me for saying that. I went back. He mentioned the word Jew in the American conservative immediately got fired. <laughs> <laughs> so you got but, fired. Uh, so anyway, sorry, Phil. But oh, uh, anyway, it was a, a loser rag anyway. But Miko Pellet got really mad at me and tried to get me kicked out of the, the uh, conference, which would have meant me walking across the desert sands of uh, the Eurasian landmass trying to get back to uh, Indiana. So if, so you're, I, if, you, if you're stranded in Meshed, would you walk, try to walk into Afghanistan or into, was it Turkmenistan I, or... I don't know, because the, the Iranians didn't go along with it, thank God. They're the politest people on earth. They wouldn't do something that stupid. But the the, the point that I was trying to make is that, uh, I know this is shocking, but Israelis are Jews. I, I It's mm. a, some type of block here among the left uh, that doesn't seem to understand that. That there is a connection between killing babies in the womb, abortion, which is a Jewish sacrament, and killing babies in uh, apartment buildings by dropping bombs on them. And the, 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 the connection is this Jewish revolutionary spirit that is now controlling the world. We need some type of coherent policy here. You know, so Jews are so, baby killers, whether or, you know, adrenochrome or no adrenochrome, blood libel or no blood libel, they're definitely killing some babies. I think we have to draw that conclusion. And then you have to draw the take further and say, do you want people who believe that this is a fundamental Jewish value in charge of anything, anything in our government, anywhere? No, you don't. And that's what? the type of just we have to have some type of moral consensus that will it, it remove these people from power. It's got to happen. And that's the kind of talk that gets people banned from everything because it's so dangerous, because it's so obviously true. And here's Ron Un's kind of belaboring the obvious quite brilliantly, uh, as he sometimes does in these pieces. Although this, I guess it's, I shouldn't say the obvious because it took me a long time to kind of get over this whole anti-Semitism thing, right? Because like I grew up friends with lots of Jews. My parents thought Jews were cool. 
you know, they were like striving middle, upper middle class types like my parents. And, you know, that the, my parents respected their very secular and worldly material, materialistic values. And I always had a lot of Jewish friends in college and after college and stuff. And so I basically came out of a place where I basically liked Jews. At the same time, in my very early 20s, I noticed that what was happening in Palestine was genocide and that Israel was evil and Zionism was insane. And so I often would, you know, make that point with my Jewish friends, and most of them could handle it. If they couldn't, they wouldn't be my friends. Uh, so I went through this long learning curve here with then with 9-11 truth and the fact that I was being attacked by almost completely Jews and maybe, you know, trying to draw that distinction and nuances and so on and so forth. Finally had to admit that you know, these people getting called anti-Semites like you, Mike, uh, actually have a point. And so Ron Unz goes back in history here and shows us that these few, you know, these big cases that, you know, the, the Dreyfus case uh, and the, um, the, case, the case of the pogroms in Russia and, uh, and, the, and the case of the, that uh, lynching case that founded the ADL, all these things turn out that you look closely at them and there wasn't any anti-Jewish prejudice involved in the first place. The whole thing is a big myth. It's a hoax. There really isn't any such thing as anti-Semitism in the way that we're told. No. No, and the crucial distinction you have to make is the distinction between the Jews and all Jews. They're not the same thing. The Jews is the political entity that is best symbolized by the ADL, IPAC. It's a political entity that is mobilized for political purposes, and it doesn't include all Jews. There, A lot of them don't go along with it, but that doesn't mean there isn't such a category. It's a category mistake. The whole anti-Semitism thing is based fundamentally on a category mistake. And so the other thing we have to keep in mind is uh, back then, it's like uh, what we just said about Kissinger and Blinken. Things were different then. Uh, things were Jews were different then, as I remember them. I'll go you one better. I became a Jew. And I didn't even understand it. As like a 19-year-old, I wanted to get involved in the art world in Philadelphia. And I started working for Jews, and I they were the only people I ran into. And I suddenly realized uh, a long time later, not to, when I got to Germany and came back to the faith, I had completely internalized all of their categories, and I was de facto a Jew. So we have to, it's not the type of uh, the animus, the the blood, the, this, this kind of bigotry that uh, that uh, Greenblatt is trying to perform. It's an awakening and realizing that there are a group of people throughout history, exactly what Lund is saying, who have had a deleterious effect or wherever they were. And they're yeah. having an even worse effect right now. This is like the apotheosis of Jewish influence and nobody's allowed to talk about it. Well, it's a really interesting piece. I highly recommend it. Uh, one of the interesting aspects is that Unz concludes that Dreyfus was in fact innocent yet that the people who were angry at the vast amount of money that got mobilized to defend him were acting reasonably, not on the basis of bigotry. While Leo Frank, the uh, the brutal uh, child rapist and murderer uh, who tried to blame his misdeeds on a series of hapless Black individuals, was clearly guilty. And the ADL was founded based on this vast pile of money that wealthy American Jews raised to try to defend Leo Frank, an obviously guilty uh, child rapist and murderer. Uh, so it, it, Ron gets it. I, I appreciate this about Ron's work because he try, he actually tries to get to the truth, whatever it is. And the truth in both cases, well, one was innocent, one was guilty. But 
in both cases, there was it, the reason that people reacted the way they did had nothing to do with prejudice. The only prejudice involved in this was Jewish prejudice against Goys. The only hatred involved in this is Jewish hatred against non-Jews. And that's why I say that the word anti-Semitism should be replaced with the word Jew hatred. And we all should oppose that. And we all should hope and pray that the Jews stop hating. Uh, so that, that's what I told Ron on the radio last night. Uh, well, speaking of anti-Semitism, uh, uh, American Jews almost never serve in the American military, but they love to go serve in the Israeli military, and they're flocking to Israel now to uh, join the genocide. And the Washington Post is writing about it in a way that covers up the disgusting, outrageous quality of what's happening here. And look, they're lionizing uh, this, uh, this one-armed sharpshooter. He's an Israeli Defense Forces sharpshooter, pretends to be American, but he never never fought in the American military. He was a sharpshooter in the Israeli military. He lost an arm and then trained himself to be a sharpshooter with one arm. So he's a one-armed sharpshooter who probably, uh, like so many other IDF sharpshooters, uh, loves to lure Palestinian children within range of his guns by barking out obscene insults over bullhorns and then shoots them in the gut for sport. That's what Chris Hedges described watching Israeli soldiers do. And the way he's being written about in the Washington Post is uh, hardly uh, recognizing the complete outrageousness of this entire situation. Yeah, it reminds me of the one-armed bandit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there's uh, there's this uh, heroic uh, uh, Israeli child-murdering, genocide-perpetrating sharpshooter lionized in the Washington Post, which is telling us that it's just fine that thousands of American Jews have no interest whatsoever in defending the United States, but go rush off to Israel to participate in the mass genocide and child murder happening in Gaza. Um, yeah, so I, 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 I saw a CNN report, and uh, they were trying to... Per, uh, the hostages are being released. Well, they only talked about the hostages Hamas uh, released. No, 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 no about the uh, the uh, the uh, the hostages the Israelis had. But anyway, to show you how inhumane they were, they flashed this up on the screen. This is what they did to them. They told the children to be quiet or the house would be bombed. Yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah, why, yeah, why, why, why is that inhumane behavior? Who do you think is going to bomb the house? It's the Israelis who are going to bomb the house. And so they were just trying to tell them to be quiet or else they'll all be yeah, killed by the Israelis. Don't celebrate. Yeah, they said that when we when we release you from prison, if you <laughs> if you celebrate by being happy with your family that you've been released from prison, we'll kill you and your family. We'll bomb your house. Those are the kind of people we're talking about here. Uh, well, in the White House, uh, Joe Biden's unwavering embrace of Israel apparently has, uh, in other words, his endorsement of uh, the most outrageous genocide that's ever been televised is apparently there are a few people in the White House who are uneasy with it. Um, did you find that surprising, Mike? No, apparently a delegation from uh, Dearborn, which is the uh, Lebanese-Palestinian community in Michigan, right outside of uh, Detroit, went to wa uh, Washington and told Biden that he's, he's if we don't support you, you will lose the election because we are the swing vote in Michigan. If Michigan doesn't go, you need the Michigan votes and so on and so forth. So. Uh, he, he he's in trouble. He's in trouble, and yeah. uh, the the he's he's losing the the left wing constituency, which is the main uh, uh, Palestinian supporters in this country. I don't understand why, but that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it is a tough political uh, situation because, of course, the Republicans are going to beat up on him if he does anything other than encourage, fund, and cheer for this genocidal massacre. 
Uh, well, but uh, no, no one is calculating about how many votes Republicans are losing because nobody talks about that. Yeah, I'm talking yeah. about I'm talking about the, the, the Catholic vote. The Catholic vote is always the swing vote because it's a lot of people. And they're, you know, so you don't know what's happening there. You don't know what's happening there. And so one of these, they had to stage this debate with uh, Ron DeSantis and uh, and uh, the Newsom. And uh, this is kind of preliminary to the, the election. And uh, the, the Democrat comes on and he says, oh, those Republicans, uh, they just want to ban books and restrict women's reproductive freedom. Do you, do you understand the effect that has on Catholics when you touch that third rail, which is known as abortion? Evidently, you, you don't. And you're going to lose the swing vote if you if you're heading down this path. And a lot of Catholics don't like uh, child murder, as you see from their uh, abortion policies, and they probably don't particularly like what's happening in Gaza either. In many cases, well, according to Moon of Alabama, Gaza is getting so complicated for Biden. He's, he's had to climb down. Originally, he was open to the idea of trying to push the Gazan people into Egypt. And of course, Assisi and the rest of the region said, no, nothing like that's ever going to happen. So he's been climbing down and Moon of Alabama says he'll have to climb down even further. And as you say, the delegation from Dearborn and some of the internal opposition in the White House staff might force that. Uh, but the big news this week, which we probably could have put at the very front of the show, uh, was that the truce uh, that covered most of this week is now over. Israel's resuming the genocide. They killed uh, well over 100 Palestinian civilians within the first 12 hours of resuming the bombings. And they're not even knocking or warning anybody now. They're just blowing up house after house, apartment block after apartment block full of people. Uh, here, here's uh, the, a pretty cool video, though, about the Israeli hostages being released. It's true in America, they only care about this. But I don't know if, if the Americans are actually seeing all of these videos. Oops, let's Where's that video? Hello, video. There it is. Come on, video. These are the uh, Hamas guys that were guarding the hostages uh, saying goodbye to them. And you can see that they're... Uh... Goodbye! Goodbye! Guys, good job! Goodbye! Good luck! Bye-bye, no. shukran. Bye-bye. We go home. Bye. So there's a whole narrative about the Habas guys being homicidal you know, maniacs and stuff, it's kind of falling apart. And Hamas's exemplary moral and ethical uh, behavior in this conflict stems from their religious commitment. Nobody's ever going to tell you this in America, but everybody in my part of the world knows it. So, uh, so Mike, did you find that surprising that there's like affection between Hamas and their Israeli hostages and some of the other nationalities too? No, it's Stockholm syndrome. Now, I'm not trying to denigrate. I'm not trying to say that it's real, uh, not real. 
But I'm saying if you put people together in an intense situation, an intensely emotional situation, they will draw together. And that's exactly what could have happened in Israel. Except but, 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 for- wait a minute. The, Pal- the Palestinians released by the Israelis are traumatized and talk about basically having been tortured and mistreated and raped. Uh, and they have zero affection for their Israeli captors. Don't you think there may be a difference between the way I'm, that the think, uh, Hamas faithful uh, fighters versus the Israeli uh, Satanist maniacs are treating the people that they are holding captive? I'm saying that the natural reaction is the the Stockholm syndrome, and in order to pre- prevent that, you have to enter some type of have to add some type of ideological dehumanization to the people that you're dealing with. And that's precisely the problem that Israel has imposed on that 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 part of the world. Okay. Well, I, I challenge anybody to find any videos of the prisoners that is Israel has been holding uh, when they're released, having the slightest bit of affection for the people who held them. Uh, so Stockholm syndrome only works when you're being treated like a human being. Here's a, a cradle article about uh, the um, predicting that this truce wasn't going to hold and that it was all going to slide into regional war. Well, they're right about the first part. The truce didn't hold. Uh, Mike, do you think that they're right about the second part, that regional war is on the way? It's hard to tell. I've heard reports that Iran doesn't feel that it's in its interest to get involved in the war. I don't know whether that's Mm -hmm. true or not, but uh, I don't, we, we keep hearing about red lines. Now the, uh, uh, the Gallant, the uh, defense minister in Israel, says that what we did to Gaza, we can do to Beirut. He's threatening to nuke Beirut. Uh, they already did if, that, though. That so-called uh, fertilizer bomb was actually an Israeli nuke. Yeah, I understand. But, I mean, they're threatening to do what they're doing to Gaza, which means leveling Beirut with uh, Israeli fighters now. Okay? That's... That's part. That's part of the. That's part of the problem. It's, I don't know uh, where. What is, would that draw Turkey into the war? Would that draw Syria into the war? Don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of chaos theory, unintended consequences. It reminds a lot of people of the situation before World War One. Uh, there are a lot of ways things could get out of hand. Um, ben Gavir, the uh, ultra psycho genocidal maniac in Netanyahu's cabinet. The guy who used to uh, pray, basically worship a picture of the uh, Baruch Goldstein, the mass murderer who walked into a mosque and murdered like several dozen uh, praying people in the mosque. So Ben Gavir worships that that mass murderer, Baruch Goldstein, and he's now got a high position in the Israeli cabinet. And he says that if Netanyahu stops, if the war stops, then we're pulling out of the government. And of course, that's a huge threat to Netanyahu because once he's out of government, he'll be in prison. So now these uh, these these extremists have a uh, pretty strong uh, bargaining position to try to keep the genocide going. Yeah, well, he's between a rock and a hard place, and at that point, he's got to he. The only thing that is going to move him is superior power, and that was the role of the United States. The United States has to come in at some point and says we're cutting off aid. The Democrats are talking about that now. That has always been the role of the United States to keep. Uh, maniacs like this uh, under control, but they're not they're not exhibiting that control. Ben, Netanyahu thinks that he can do whatever he wants, and that's the problem. And so does Ben Gavir. Uh, well, here's uh, the uh, passage uh, about the likely 
future. This is this is actually from the previous article uh, from this Cradle article about the Gaza truce not halting the regional war, and pointing out that the Zionists failed before the truce. The reason they had to accept the truce was that they had not been able to do much more than do these incursions, but they never uh, were able to get to the actual Hamas, uh, the real Hamas strongholds. And so now they're going to have to figure out a way to do that. Do uh, you think they will, or are they going to continue to lose on the ground? Well, what what's, what way? The only way you can do it is by going into the tunnel, and the Israelis are not going to do that. They're afraid to do that. The only ch- ch- possibility is get Americans to do it. Hire the Goyim, like the Shabbos Goy, instead of opening the, you know, turning on the light switch, send them into the tunnel. Yeah, that the would be, tunnel that would, uh, yeah. but a tunnel Goy. But I don't think the Biden administration is in a, a, a position to do that. They're too, they're they're too vulnerable with the uh, with the American people, and because uh, the the resentment against all of this money being wasted is spreading throughout America. More and more people are less and less willing to shed American blood for the interest of the Israelis. It's not going to work. So. Well, I, I think maybe I should send uh, Ben Gavir and, and Netanyahu and Ayelet Shaked and people like that into these tunnels because they hate Palestinians so much. Well, why don't you go into those tunnels and see if you can kill yes. people before they kill you? And have a uh, put Ben Shapiro in charge of the operation. Yeah, send Ben Shapiro it. into the tunnel. I think we should start a GoFundMe or fundraiser to send Ben Shapiro into the tunnels of Gaza. Yeah, uh, put I'll, your I'll, money where your mouth is. Ben. I'll pay for his plane ticket. Ben, uh, call me up, email me. And it would I'll probably find it would probably be. It would probably only be a one-way ticket anyway. It would be, yeah. Yeah, save some money that way. Okay, well, there's been some protests of the genocide. At one point, the Manhattan Bridge was totally shut down. Uh, the Jews for Peace, who are not part of the Jews that you talked about, uh, for the most part, most of them aren't anyway, uh, are doing good work here. I mean, they are they were brought up to not like genocide. And so when they see their Jewish state committing it, uh, naturally, some of them are going to do the right thing and protest it. So there's a lot of uh, increasing protests about this. And it's it's not just the Muslims of Dearborn, but some of the Jews in New York City as well. So God bless them. Yeah. I, I, the, the, I'm always puzzled by the situation in Ireland, which is the most pro-Palestinian probably country in the world. And yet the same people who are pro-Palestinian are anti or pro-abortion. I don't understand this contradiction. It is the fundamental contradiction between left and right. And it seems to me it's all predicated on the fact that the people refuse to see that there's a common denominator here. That could be, yeah. Well, maybe they'll figure that out. Of course, the Ireland's most famous Jew, uh, Leopold Bloom of James Joyce's Ulysses, uh, did uh, have this little reverie about going back to the Holy Land. Uh, so maybe the Irish are so proud of him that they... Uh, no, I, that's not true, because as you said, they they like the Palestinians. So I don't know what's going on in the minds of the Irish. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll go back to be a native country someday and try to psychoanalyze them. But meanwhile, let's move over to Hunter College, where this movie Israelism, uh, which is some Jewish students who went on their birthright Israel tour, and then they also went over and looked at Palestine and were horrified at the entire situation and made a movie about it. And this is the last thing that the Zionists want to be spreading. And so they're trying to shut this film down when people want to show it on campuses. And they got it shut down at Hunter College, but then the anti-shutdown forces ended up prevailing. So a a shout out to the folks who made and are spreading the word on this film, Israelism. This situation hasn't been resolved. The same thing happened at Harvard. Uh, The Jews have taken over Harvard uh, when there was a pro-Palestinian protest. 
the Jews uh, doxed the people, uh, in other words, told uh, the Harvard students to harass them. And then the big Jewish donors threatened to pull their money out. And this lady who's the president just uh, is kind of wishy-washy. She goes well, one way, goes the other. I've never heard of a college president who turned down money. So I think that that's, that's what's going to determine all of these, these colleges. They're going well, money to does be, determine what happens in colleges. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's clear. So as long as they uh, money determines your policy, you're going to be a servant of the Jews. It's that simple. Okay. Well, uh, let's let's hope that the uh, permission uh, to show Israelism uh, holds at Hunter College. Here's another cradle article uh, again about the groundwork conundrum that we already talked about, and I think I think that quote was actually maybe from this article. This, this quote here about how tough it's going to be for Israel to get into those tunnels. But we already talked about that. So let's move on to the war on women and children. Uh, this is just one of the horrific images of dead babies and children. Uh, Israel took over, uh, you know, just destroyed, basically you know, fired on and shelled uh, the hospital. Uh, snipers killed uh, doctors and patients through the windows. They ended up uh, coming in and taking over and destroying the hospital. And they they left all these babies uh, to die. This reminds me of the Kuwaiti baby incubator incident that never happened. That set off Gulf War One, where the Kuwaiti ambassador's daughter went before Congress and falsely testified that she was a nurse who had watched the Ira Iraqi soldiers throwing the little babies to die on the floor. Well, that's what got uh, congressional permission for Gulf War One. Now we have vastly greater numbers of real babies really being murdered by the Israelis in an equally or even more uh, bestial fashion. And the, if you want to read about it, you have to go to the electronic intifada. So I would like to have a discussion in Oklahoma uh, and Texas. Uh, Oklahoma and Texas are pro-life and pro-Israel. And they don't seem to understand that there's a contradiction here. We need to resolve this contradiction one way or the other. Okay, they're not going if they're not going to stop being pro-life, far as I can tell, which means they have to abandon their Zionism because it's the same thing. Why can't we have we need a coherent policy here? We need a coherent understanding of what's going on. And we've got leverage in places like that because of the uh, abortion issue. Well, that's right. But as BB said, hey, it's it's Amalek time. Kill the women, the children, the infants, even as the soon, animals. As soon as you invoke the Old Testament, it's like invoking the Holocaust narrative. The the Protestants had to have the Old Testament to give them legitimacy because they had broken with the Catholic Church. So that's exactly where we don't want this discussion to go because we know the effect that the Schofield Bible has had on these people. Let's back up and talk about this issue. Is it okay to kill babies in the womb, but not okay to bomb them? That's the left uh, position. Is it, And the right position is okay to bomb them, but not kill them in the womb. They're both incoherent. When are we going to have a coherent policy? Well, that, that makes too much sense to be represented in the mainstream. That's why you're here on False Flag Weekly News. Uh, and the question of why is it that children and women make up about 70% of the deaths and a and larger number of casualties. There have already been more than 20,000 people killed, uh, 15,000 or so's bodies have been counted, and probably at least another 5,000 or considerably more uh, still rotting beneath the rubble, and more than 70% are women and children. 
And so here's an article about that. And again, yeah, I wonder why these pro-life uh, people in Texas are so happy about massacring these huge numbers of women and children in such a horrifically painful way. Most of these people are like dying slowly beneath uh, the rubble of their houses. I mean, this is just not a nice thing to do to people. Um, the Christians who are supporting this genocide are going to have to answer for it. Well, that's what the word Amalek does. Yeah. It, it, it anesthetizes half of your brain. You're using religion to... Be, is that, the classic example was Mike Pence. You know? It's all, Indiana is the same way. You know? How can you be, how can you be pro-life and pro-genocide uh, in Gaza? How can yeah. you be pro-abortion and yet against the genocide? It makes no sense. We need a coherent position here. When is that going to happen? Yeah, I would say it's it's probably a pretty small percentage of the American public that has that coherent position, and and that is very strange. But we're living in strange times. Uh, so more explosive power uh, has been used in Gaza in a month than on Hiroshima. So I mean, the place is 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 just you know so much much of it is flattened. The, I believe the majority now of people are homeless. Uh, here's a before and after picture that looks a lot like Hiroshima. So this is what the the right-wing uh, pro-life Christians, not to mention the Jews, are supporting. Yes, but we're also talking about the legacy of World War II and the war crimes that uh, America committed during World War II uh, are kind of like the, 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 the guilt that is submerged beneath the surface and it's being used to justify this type of war. So it's Hiroshima. It's also, I told you, I think we were on the last program, we talked about Rabbi Dove Fisher writing in the American conservative uh, or American specter, I think it was. Anyway, uh, saying that uh, all these people are guilty. There are no innocent women. Look, 70% are women and children. It's because you're bombing houses. They're not military targets. Obviously, women and children are going to die. Okay, so if you're doing that, if you're doing that, you're going to have civilian casualties. Well, how do you justify civilian casualties? Well, invoke World War II, invoke the Holocaust narrative. So there, there were no innocent women and children in Dresden because they voted for Hitler. There are no innocent bystanders in Gaza because they voted for Hamas. This is the, the idiocy that passes for moral reasoning at this point. Yeah, it certainly, certainly is. It's, it's just off the charts. Uh, and Caitlin Johnstone talks about the savagery being so shocking, it's hard to take in. And that might be part of it. It really is so extreme, so far you know, beyond anything that happened in such a limited time and place uh, in other wars. And it's all happening pretty much on live TV that it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around it. And a lot of people aren't wrapping their minds around it. I'll tell you, in, in this part of the world, in Morocco uh, and the whole MENA region with uh hundreds of millions of people in this region, and then about 2 billion Muslims worldwide. Well, we're, we are kind of taking it in. And I'm pretty sure that there are going to be a very large number of people, not just the surviving Palestinians, but a huge number of people are going to spend the rest of their lives trying to figure out how to uh, get revenge for this. You know, whatever kind of WMD or, you know, nothing wrong with Israel that a couple of nukes wouldn't fix uh, or its equivalent in other forms of WMD. I mean, there's no way that this Zionist entity is going to last given the level of outrage about this that is being felt right now in much of the world. And the people who are behind this genocide are from a tribe of notorious pathological liars, pornographers, and genocide perps, as these stories illustrate. Here's the pathological liar part 
um, this guy, uh, this Israeli German singer, uh, got headlines because he claimed that when he, he went to the hotel, they discriminated against him. They were anti-Semitic. They told him, put away that Star of David. Turns out he just made the whole thing up. There was no Star of David that they could even have seen. They never said any such thing. It was complete BS, just like the entire concept of so-called anti-Semitism, as we mentioned with the Ron Unz article. Yeah, this is uh, nothing epitomizes the situation in Germany better than this incident. So the 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 Jew uh, lies. The hotel owner files a libel suit. Then he's got to testify under oath. Oh yeah, I made it all up. And what happens? He gets a slap on the wrist. He has to donate ten thousand dollars, not to the hotel, but to a Jewish organization. At the same time this happens, somebody tweets saying the Jew is a liar, and he ends up in prison for seven months because he called a Jewish liar a Jewish liar. Yeah, make it up. Just <laughs> uh, you're calling Germany occupied is really an understatement. I don't I don't know what the word would be for the uh, state of mind of Germany these days. Uh, and then here's a story that I think we talked about earlier about you know why does a rabbi own Pornhub, and uh, and you explained it quite concisely. So maybe maybe you could explain it again in context of this article about the uh, the grooming gangs, the kabbalistic connection, all of that. Uh, I got, I tweeted, uh, a rabbi owns Pornhub. I got shadow banned from Twitter by saying the same thing the rabbi said. Uh, why is that? Well, first of all, uh, you're supposed to say, oh, there's no connection. If there's a connection, it's because he believes in uh, freedom or something like that. No, the Jews have always been involved in pornography from the beginning. It is one of their sacraments along with abortion because they know that sexual liberation is a form of control. I wrote a book about this. It's called Libido Dominandi. And one year after I wrote that book and launched that thesis, the Israeli, the IDF, rolled into Ramallah, took over the Palestinian TV stations, and started broadcasting pornography. To prove me right, why were they broadcasting pornography? Did they want to bring freedom to the Palestinians? No. They knew that it's a form of control. That's why a Jew, that's why a rabbi is in charge of Pornhub. It's the best form of control mechanism that they ever created because it deranges, uh, deracinates, uh, destabilizes the goyim that they hate. Well, it seems to work better on the Americans than on the Palestinians. You know, they're still uh, resisting. So I, th I think it, it didn't quite work on them. Okay, well, moving to our COVID fallout category, you know, like a year ago or whatever, we were talking about nothing but COVID. Now it seems like nothing but Palestine. Uh, this was actually a pretty big story. Robert Malone uh, did a decent job with this up to a point. Uh, Robert Cadlick, who is on the list, uh, the very he's at the top of the list of suspects in the apparent COVID U.S. biowar attack on China. That's probably where and, and Iran. That's probably where COVID came from. Cadillac was Trump's germ warfare czar, and he's someone who presumably would have been involved in the very small decision-making loop in that decision to unleash a U.S. bioweapon against the city of Wuhan at the exact moment when practically the whole country of China was going to be traveling through uh, its transit hub, the city of Wuhan. And of course, before that, the American germ warfare establishment had funded the creation of a biosafety lab, a, a bioresearch lab in Wuhan that could be the Lee Harvey Oswald of the U.S. bioattack on China that was designed to slow China's economy and succeeded. 
in spades. Uh, China's economy has now dropped in its growth. Before it was it was double digits. Uh, the U.S. was two or three percent. Now China's economy is growing slower than the U.S. economy. So that's attack succeeded. They have to cover it up, and it looks like Cadillac is obfuscating by blaming Fauci and going along with the Republicans who are trying to cast this as, oh, the virus came out of those evil red Chinese scientists at the Wuhan lab, and it was covered up by Democrats who were too friendly to China, when the truth is the opposite. It was a Republican Trump administration, Mike Pompeo, uh, Robert Cadillac, biological warfare attack on China. And if Republicans take power again, if Trump, Trump becomes dictator for life, get ready for World War III against China. Yeah. Uh, so uh, when's Fauci going to be indicted? Uh, no time soon. If if, uh, But again, if the consciousness raises to the point of uh, where everyone starts to understand this, I think it will be impossible to impose this on the American people a second time. This is not just coming out, uh, the memoir of the assistant of uh, Andrew Cuomo, and what she did to New York is now coming out. She's bragging about it, but it basically wrecked the economy up there and drove yeah, about three three 300,000 people uh, from New York to Florida, who people just left and, and moved away from, because Florida at that point did not have uh, this type of uh, draconian lockdown. That's how, that's how Ron DeSantis made a name for himself. It was resisting COVID, the COVID measures. He established it, and then, of course, he wrecked it by his groveling attitude toward Israel. So it was a classic example of how governors can't become presidents because they can only deal with local issues. And here Ann Coulter is uh, raking Melissa DeRosa over the coals for writing this book, trying to champion Cuomo's anti-COVID measures, which, as you say, were totally disastrous at every level. You know, that he shut down the schools. Basically, he locked everything down, including all sorts of things that were totally ineffective. And then he sent all these COVID patients into the nursing homes. So, uh, you know, a book that's painting Cuomo as a hero, doing all these extreme things, most of which were not necessary and some of which were counterproductive, uh, is is just as bad as Ann Coulter says it was. I mean, I actually end up agreeing with Ann Coulter maybe a third to half of the time these days, which is kind of strange. But getting back to this, this Robert Cadillac story, I thought it was interesting that he says, I have an obligation to kind of say what happened. You know, talking about a Freudian slip revealing this guy is, is, is you know, spinning and coming out, you know, telling, uh, basically BSing. Uh, you, you just look at him and, and look at those words and you know that this is a limited hangout at, at best. It might even be a little worse than that. So yeah, the COVID fallout is still falling out. That was a huge uh, shocking event, but now we're in wars, Ukraine and, and Palestine and uh, our last, we don't want to go through the whole thing without talking about the looming Russian victory in Ukraine. So let's move into the Russia rises while the West navel gazes category. Here is uh, from out of Russia. That's why this is a Russia story. John Helmer is one of our best uh, independent analysts. He points out that one way Israel can be beaten in this war is a massive flotilla or a proxy war by swarm. And there are plans afoot for a thousand boat plus uh, armada, uh, bringing breaking the blockade of Gaza, bringing humanitarian supplies into Gaza. And the Israelis might have a real hard time dealing with that. They they panicked and killed people and reacted badly to the Mavi Marmara, you know, a handful of boats in these previous flotillas. You get a thousand boats and it's going to be tough for them 
to know how to respond. I'm almost tempted, Mike, to head for Turkey and try to get involved in this. Am I crazy? Don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah, you're Don't crazy. Uh, this this is I, I know what the paradigm here. It's drones. Okay, there's no problem. Drones are effective when they swarm, uh, because all of the uh, anti-aircraft, whatever it is, like the Iron Dome, is predicated on big targets, and uh, they're ineffective against swarming. So that, that's great. Swarm all you want with drones, but when you get a thousand boats with people on them, no, that's that's a bad idea. You think the Israeli, and, Israelis will kill a thousand boats worth of well, people? Well, what did they do the last time? They had no compulsion well, they back killing people. people. They killed eight or okay. ten people. Well, a thousand are, boats with, with 10, 10 plus people per boat, okay, more than 10,000 people. But it's the swarm paradigm, and it means, okay, if they take out 100 boats, 900 get through? Is that the, is that the scenario here? That's too high a price to pay. I wouldn't do it. So too too high risk. All right. Well, we'll we'll see. I'll I'll have to consult various experts. You're one of them. Before I head for Turkey, uh, and here's another Russia story from Moon of Alabama, uh, and it's now been officially admitted that, as we already knew, uh, the U.S. Uh, actually through through Britain stopped what would have been a peace plan that could have frozen the the war with better results for Ukraine than what they're going to get now. They could have avoided hundreds of thousands of people dead and maybe a million wounded. Uh, so they admit it. It's true. <laughs> uh, we all knew it in the alternative media. Uh, are you surprised? No. What did Madden Albright say about Iraq? It's the same strategy. Another Jew who feels that uh, a million goyim deaths is not is uh, acceptable if you can achieve your strategic goal. Uh, that's what Madeleine Albright said. Uh, 500,000 children? Sure, no problem. And now Victoria Nuland is presiding, another Jewish lady, is presiding over the genocide and ethnic cleansing of the Ukrainian people. Uh, again, uh, people like this should not be in charge of anything. Except uh, maybe uh, 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 you know rag picking in New Jersey or something like that. They can't put people who have no moral compass in charge of government because it leads to disaster, and that's precisely where it led uh, in the Ukraine. They lied. Putin doesn't believe anybody anymore because they lied. They don't have any credibility. Uh, this is a disaster. A disaster for the Ukrainian people. But that's the type of strategy. The point of this is not to help the Ukrainian people. The point of this is to use the Ukrainians as cannon fodder to take out the Russians. Yeah. That's a strategy. Well, it's more illustration of what I said about the word anti-Semitism needing to be replaced by the term uh, Jew hatred, because in this case, the Jew Jewish hatred of Slavs and Christians and Ukrainians and Russians leading to the mass murder of hundreds of thousands of them, just like the Jew hatred of Palestinians, Arabs, and Muslims leading to the mass murders happening right now in Gaza. That is a problem. There is a problem with Jew hatred and everybody should oppose it. Uh, Jews need to stop hating. Okay, well, here's the final story of today's show. It's the navel-gazing New York Times uh, publishing a big op-ed piece this is what my belly looks like. Uh, did you look deeply into this, Mike? Uh, yeah, there's nothing there. You're right. You hit the nail on the head when you said this is narcissism. This is the culture of narcissism that got exposed in the 1970s. Indeed. Uh, well, we saw, we the, saw an example uh, of, uh, of identity politics have pretty much uh, taken over the world, but 
here at False Flag Weekly News, we are still resisting that. So thank you so much, Dr. E. Michael Jones. Appreciate your excellent commentaries. Keep up the great work and God bless. Thank you. Okay, bye bye.